0: own your truth with life strategist laura t real advice for regular people now here's laura
1: hello and welcome to own your truth where we're talking real advice for regular people i'm laura t thank you so much for listening i know there's lots of ways you can spend your sunday evening and i'm always grateful you're going to spend the next hour with me So like I said last week, grab yourself a bowl of ice cream or your favorite cup of tea because tonight's topic is one that you want to not leave your radio for. Tonight we're going to talk about parental involvement in youth sports. Before we jump into that, I want to remind you, if you missed last week's episode when I talked about the emotional and physical benefits of looking up, I included tips for looking up during the holidays, looking up from your phones, and the physical benefits of looking up, you can find the show in all past recordings on iTunes. Simply search Own Your Truth with Laura T, download episodes, and listen at your leisure. Okay, so back to tonight's topic. Parental involvement in youth sports. You know, this is a topic that has had me fascinated for years and was really highlighted last weekend as I watched my son curl in his first bond spiel of the season. You know, curling has picked up in um, popularity since the Olympics and a bond spiel is a curling tournament. So I really love curling for many reasons, but most of all, because there's no coaches, there's no adults allowed on the ice, the sport has no referees, and every match begins and ends with a handshake. There's just something powerful in kids playing a sport where that's the premise. You know, The other interesting thing is the junior league of curling is made up of kids between the ages of 13 and typically around 18. Some, you, I believe you can play until you're 21. Um, each team has four players and there are 32, there are 24 to 32 kids on the ice at a time. So just think about that concept. You've got 32 kids on the ice. There's no referees. There's no adults. There's no one telling them what to do. And the entire time they, decide their own strategy they arbitrate their own disagreements and the culture of this sport is sportsmanship and integrity above winning so to that point i was was shared with me last week an example is if both teams if you're in a match and both teams um, decide to change the rules, they can. So I'll give you the example that was shared with me. So typically a match ends when time is called or there's the end of um, an end, which is essentially a round. It's whichever comes first. Well, during a particularly important match um, this past year, time had run out and the less competitive team was ahead. Well, at that point, the team could have easily said, you know, we have victorious, we've won, because technically... They had. But the teams got together and they talked. And they decided that it was more important to win because they were the better team instead of win because time had run out. And so both teams decided they were going to continue play. And so they went to um, the person running the club and said, this is what we're going to do. And they were allowed to continue to play. In the end, the stronger team had won. And yet both teams were really happy with the outcome. The key here was that the kids got to decide that integrity was more important than winning. And what's awesome about it is they did this on their own. They decided to do the right thing on their own. So I love this sport. It just appeals to the idealist in me. And my experience with team sports... To be honest, it had been jaded. I I wasn't an athlete when I was younger, um, and as my daughter started to become very athletic, one of the first games she played was softball. And in softball, parents and coaches are there, referees are there, there are sidelines, there parents are on the sidelines giving direction, even when they aren't the coaches. And listen, we've all been there, we've all done it, Um, and you know, like most athletic experiences, it started off really great. And, um, you know, this was my first introduction to serious team sports, which I didn't understand. That meant that essentially we'd play all year round. There was fall softball. There was spring softball. There was summer all-stars. There was a travel team. And then, of course, there were winter workouts. Like, this was a shock to me. I didn't even realize all of this happened. And so, even with all of this like we just really enjoyed the families we enjoyed the kids you know my daughter was having fun so as time went on and season after season passed they the teams obviously got more competitive and you know my husband was one of the three coaches and they started to to again we were playing all of the time and I said, like, is this really normal? Yes, yes, this is what competitive teams do. And so we continued as a family to be dedicated to the sport. Well, I would say it was like around the third year. Um, things started to go downhill a little bit. The parents weren't happy with how and when their kids got played. The coaches weren't happy with middle schoolers. Oh, I don't know, being typical middle schoolers on the field. And so here we had a situation where you've got volunteer coaches and well intentioned parents at odds with each other. And it was so sad. Softball was impacting our family because the sport had become our life. It was weekday practices and long tournaments on weekends and conversations at dinner in a 40-foot batting cage in our backyard and tracking stats and planning strategy at night and moving vacations to accommodate games and dealing with parent emails constantly. And I just kept thinking, like, when does this end? And, like, my goodness, I think my kid's still young. Like, they're in middle school. And well, so – For this particular sport, fortunately, my husband got to a point where he stopped coaching. And soon after, my daughter stopped playing. And here's the crazy part. She liked the sport in the beginning, but admitted to me that it stopped being fun. And like many situations where you've got a a parent as a coach she just didn't want to tell her dad because she she loved that time with him and so when you have a situation where you've got the the well-intentioned um father really wanting to support her his daughter and being the best she can and you have a kid who you know likes the sport well enough and wants to spend time with her dad The time had gone on, but it had stopped being fun. And so you wonder, how often is this happening with kids and sports? And so now years later, I can step back and go look at you again, great sports, great people. Without communication, it kind of all goes downhill. So we're going to talk about sports and communication a little bit later in the show. And you'll notice that I'll give lots of personal examples because as parents with kids in sports, we're all dealing with the same thing differently. Well, to get some perspective, I thought I'd do a little research just on trends with athletes in sports. So according to the Aspen Institute and Utah State University, the average child spends less than three years playing a sport and quits by age 11. Here's the thing. The primary reason kids are quitting is because they simply aren't Having fun playing anymore. And again, you hear it in this personal example a minute ago. They just stop having fun. So, looking at this survey, you know, I think it's important to note that it does not in any way, shape, or form cite parent involvement as a reason for the decline. However, in my research, a 2015 Washington Post article absolutely did say that parents have an impact. So, the article states. Experts fear larger socio economical forces are at play, especially in suburbs, where the shift to elite competition over the past two decades has taken a growing toll. Children are playing fewer sports and less talented and the less talented are left behind in recreational leagues with poor coaching coaching, uneven play, and the message that they aren't good enough. How sad is that, that we have these kids playing sports that's meant to build up their confidence, give them opportunities to arbitrate and to interact with one another. And this is how they're feeling. The article went on to say, the system is now designed to meet the needs of the most talented kids. And it quoted Mark Hyman, a professor of sports management at George Washington University, who's the author of several books on youth sports. And he said, we no longer value participation. We value excellence. And sadly, those studying the issue are looking at the parents. So, you know, in reading this, I step back as an executive coach and I recognize it's just not that simple. It's not simple, that simple to say it's the parents. So doing a little bit more digging, I found a study done in North Carolina State University called Supported or, Persuaded or Pressured an examination of agreement among parents and children on the parents' role in youth sports, found. This was so important. Parents rarely perceive their children's experiences accurately. And children learn to accommodate parents by describing experience in a manner that's consistent with what their parents' perception is. And so again, you don't have parents forcing kids. You have this natural relationship between parents and kids where the parent wants to um, satisfy their their where the kid wants to satisfy their parents. Therefore, how parents choose to operationalize their child's involvement and success may result in behavior that is interpreted by the child as over-involvement and stressful. So what they have found essentially is that there were so many instances where the parents thought, no, 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 I don't pressure my kids. And in their actions, they didn't believe that they had any impact on their kids' desire to play when in fact they interviewed the kids and the kids did feel pressured. and so again, you have this communication disconnect that's so important. So the study concluded that in the short term, children are likely to maintain involvement in sports and continue to exhibit the responses they perceived are expected by their parents. In the long term, however, as with other involvements driven by extrinsic motivators, children are less likely to drop out of sports at an early age, which coincides with the statistics that we heard earlier. So, like I said, I think it's impossible to accurately pinpoint one single cause and say that the, the parents are the issue or that, you know, it's coaches are the issue or whatever it is that we're looking at. I think that we've got to look at this whole idea of what is the result we want from kids in sports and start to evaluate that. And when I look at what is the result kids want in sports, the key is to ask the kids. So communication is the key between parent and athlete. And later on, we'll talk about even how it's the key between athlete and coach. So stay tuned after this brief commercial break, we're going to break down communication with your student athlete to help you better understand how they're truly feeling about their sport. Welcome back to Own Your Truth with Laura T. And tonight we're talking about parent involvement in youth sports. Specifically, right now, we're going to dive into the importance of communication, especially communication between parents and athletes. The pressures kids feel coming from parents often extends beyond sports into academics and other expectations. You know, and what's interesting, as a parent, I can say... I I don't put pressure on my kids. And yet there are so many times where our language does unintentionally. So... You know, like any other parent, I'm learning even with my own kids and I'm making tons of errors. And so, you know, I had mentioned earlier, I'm going to share lots of personal examples to show you how we're all going through the same things differently. Now, um, my daughter is a runner and i on her high school team and she runs three seasons and I'm not a runner, but I so admire like her commitment to practice and I love to watch her races. My husband and I rarely miss one. And so we're the loud, embarrassing parents, you know, those ones on the sidelines like screaming, yeah, go, you know, you've got this. Uh, that's us. Um, well, so this season, I thought, you know, as a parent, it would be helpful as I was cheering my daughter on to let her know that there was someone close behind her. And, you know, I don't even remember how I said it, but, you know, I'm like, "Yay, go. And Oh you know like there's someone catching up on you like keep it up you know keep keep running and she's right behind you well so i don't think anything of it and my daughter finishes the race and um we were driving home and so my daughter had said to me you know i i i, I love that you and dad are there to support me uh, can, can i ask and she was kind of hesitant to say it and you know, can you not um tell me that other people are behind me. It's not helpful. And it puts a lot of pressure on me. So I thought, Oh, that's so strange. And my instant response was to kind of explain, well, you know, I thought you wouldn't be able to see how close the runner was. And you know, I'm really trying to help. And I'm there justifying my behavior. Like, and it took me, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute for me to even catch myself. And I had, I stopped I knew in that moment I had to make a shift because I saw it on her face and I said, you know what, Taylor, I'm really sorry. I'm there to support you. Please tell me how I can do that in a way that has, you know, I love you and I'm proud of you. What can I do to show you that I support you? And she thought for a minute and said, you know, just keep yelling go and encouraging me, you know, please don't coach from the sidelines and a perfect example i had no idea that that's how what i was doing felt to her and if we didn't have this open conversation i still wouldn't know and i'd probably be telling her you yeah, know there's someone right behind you and so these I, this notion of having the conversation And then making sure that you're not justifying what you're doing. I mean, if in the end, our goal is to support our children, which I believe in the best of every parent, and that's what we're really there to do, then we need to be asking them, how do you like me to show your support, my support? For some kids, they don't like someone who's really loud and out there um, screaming. Fortunately, I'm grateful my kid doesn't mind it. Um, But for some kids, that's not going to work for them. And it may be more beneficial to do something more quietly afterward or at home. But that idea that you're asking them, what does it take for me to show you my support? You know, When I talk about parenting, one of the key things to keep in mind is that we often parent based on our behavioral style and not our kids. And so what we think is encouraging from our perspective may actually have the opposite effect on them. You know, so like a high driving parent could expect that their kid will be high driving and really competitive and go out there and get it and, you know, push past the pain and do whatever it takes. And if the young athlete is more of a quiet achiever, they may feel they can never live up to those expectations. And so they literally need to be coached and supported differently. But right now, we're not getting the chance because as we see with the statistic, kids are quitting sports earlier. So the question comes, how do you know and understand your kids' behavioral style? Well, for me, the simplest way is to have them take an assessment, right? So I use it with all of my adult and youth clients. It's online. I debrief the results with the student and the parent and then provide them detailed support material so they know how to use this information afterward. However, so that's the easiest way to do it. However, you don't need an assessment or to work with a behavioral coach to understand your athlete. What you really need is insatiable curiosity and the willingness to ask lots and lots of questions. As parents, it's easy to assume we know what our kids are thinking. But the truth is, unless you are asking, you're really guessing. And when I'm working with youth athletes and teams, I want to understand the way they think about the sport. So I'm asking things like, what do you like most about playing? What is your favorite position? what makes that your favorite position? I wanna get into what they're thinking about the position. How do you feel about sitting on the bench? You know, this is an important question. I always, when I'm working with teams, talk about the bench being the most important position on any team because you need those people on the bench to fill in when someone gets hurt, when, you know, the players are tired. That position and role is so important, and kids aren't taught that. They're taught that it's an afterthought and that those kids on the bench don't count when they're vital to the team and often impact the energy of the other kids on the bench. Um, what do you like most about practice? What do you like least about practice? If you could change one thing about the sport, what would it be? How do you feel when you play your sport? How do you feel when your family cheers for you? How do you feel when strangers cheer for you? I mean, we're getting an idea of how they feel about being in the limelight. How do they feel about attention? Again, I'm asking questions to get an understanding of how they think about these things. I'm not assuming that I know. What's your favorite thing about your coach? If you could change one thing about your coach, what would it be? Now, I use that question. It's very strategic. You notice I didn't say what's your favorite thing about your coach and then what do you like least about your coach? You want to make sure that when you're talking about people or other team members that you're looking for stuff that you can work with constructively. So if you say if you could change one thing about your coach, what would it be? Then it gives you a place to deepen the conversation and it doesn't get kind of into a moan and a groan about a coach. I don't get played. I don't. So it really is keeping it positive and helping your student athlete work with the behavior that the coach exhibits that isn't easy for him or her to work with you know i had another question i have what are the three adjectives that best describe you on the team i'm very specific about asking how they see themselves on the team what role do you see you playing as a team member not the the role you play on the field or on the court but how do you what's the role you play as a team member Again, all of these types of questions give you deeper insight to how your student athlete is thinking about their sport and about themselves, how they show up, how they play, and how they want you to interact with them. So I use these questions with kids from as young as nine to college age. Again, I wanted to get into their brain and understand how they're thinking about the activities. And no, you can use different versions of these questions to talk about anything, about academics, about hobbies. That's the great thing about these questions. There's no right or wrong answers. I'm not expecting a certain response. With each response, I'm getting even more curious. I often want to follow up an answer with, oh, that's so interesting. What's important to you about that? So for example if an athlete says to me that his or fa- her favorite thing about a coach is they're nice right when I'm working with little kids and 9 10 year olds you know they'll be like oh my coach is really nice It's so awesome to hear. Um, Oh, that's really great. So what's important about the coach being nice to you? I want to, again, regardless of the age of the athlete, get into their thinking. And here's the surprising thing. Even kids as young as nine, they'll have an answer for you. And the more you ask them questions, the more they will share. And, again, keeping that space for them to be open and honest. The fastest and most effective way to understand and support your athlete is to ask them. Again, create that safe space for whatever they answer. Here's the thing that's so important for us as parents to remember. Hold back your own response. We tend to want to fill in the blanks and o- overwrite the silence. In these instances, you want to allow for the silence. Let them think. Let them take as long as it t- takes to answer the question sometimes you may need to reframe the question if they're not understanding it or they don't come up with something after a few minutes but i'm not allowing them to get away from the question i really want to probe them to come up with some answer and you know when i'm working with parents my greatest piece of advice for you is to be kind to yourself. You know, when we're looking at making a shift in how we work with our kids, the shifts aren't always easy, right? That comes with their bumps and their um, challenges. And so, you know, it can be frustrating at the beginning when you're asking your kids questions and they don't want to talk. You know, they're like, no yes well, notice these questions didn't offer them the opportunity to say yes or no i'm always looking for open ended questions i'm not creating questions that can have a, a an abrupt end and then when they're giving me an answer like i said i'm probing and going deeper it's you know in the beginning if your kid isn't comfortable and she, she may not open up right away just keep trying Even if they're not answering now, you're planting the seed for communication and just sharing with them that your goal is to understand them better. And as a parent, the thing that you need to focus on most is to keep coming back to the conversation. Don't let it end. Again, go deeper with the questions. This is the way you're going to understand your student and your athlete, your kid, your son or daughter better. So I hope those questions begin to help you explore this idea of communicating on a deeper level with your student. We're going to jump now to our musical artist of the week. Um, This season, I'm pulling out songs from artists that I admire, those who I've played in the past. This song, Fly Me Away, is by one of my favorite couples, Mike and Heather Levinson. The band Parkway South, whose name is a result of Heather coming up with many of her song ideas while sitting in traffic heading south on the Merritt Parkway during her commute to work, they moved to Connecticut. uh, They moved from Connecticut last year year to make a name for themselves in Nashville they are dear friends and I admire them living life their way making it happen Um, I'm honored to play fly me away from their record reckless enlightenment here is Parkway South enjoy the way they sound. If you enjoyed Parkway South as much as I did and you want to check them out and access their album, Reckless Enlightenment, I'll post their website on the Own Your Truth with Laura T. Facebook page. So go there, click the link, and you'll have access to their website. Keep in mind, I'm always looking for new music. If you or someone you know would like your music played live on the show, I feature an artist each week. Send me a message on the Own Your Truth Facebook page. All original music is considered. So this is Own Your Truth with Laura T. And tonight we're talking about parental involvement in youth sports once again this week I'm opening up the lines for questions so if you have a question about this very very controversial topic I'm answering questions live during the last part of sh- the show the number here is 203-333-WICC the number again is 203-333-9422 so when I was planning for tonight's show I was talking with a fellow parent about the subject and um, they brought up a really important topic. So we talk about parental involvement and what happens. So if the goal is for parents to be less involved and, and, that was sort of the take that um, she had on on my topic, which, if you'll notice, the goal isn't for parents to be less involved. It's really to look at shifting how we're involved so that we're in a place of support and making sure that we're not adding undue pressure onto our kids. But. With that in mind, um, this particular parent had said, well, if the idea is that parents be less involved, how do you deal with a coach who's like mean or inappropriate to your kid? And I thought, wow, this is such an important part of the conversation. I wanted to really give some time to it because it happens, right? Um, and what was fascinating is as this parent talked to other parents – parents had really strong responses. Like some parents said, you know, go give, it, give the coach a piece of your mind. Well, others said, you know, no, you probably shouldn't say anything. It will only make matters worse. Um, so I thought, you know, again, interesting, interesting topic for us to dive into because it happens. So When I'm looking at situations where there's a parent, a student-athlete, and a coach, I always look at this as another awesome learning opportunity, right? Where, as parents, we're teaching our kids how to deal with all types of situations, not just the ones that work in our favor. And so... My first piece of advice when working with a, a student and a coach is to always have the student, and this is regardless of the age, self-advocate. And so people say, well, wait a second, what do you mean You know, the kid is going to go talk to the coach? For really young kids or for more quiet kids, it may be appropriate for you to be there when you're – kid talks to his or her coach. For more outgoing kids, it's really a great place to encourage their independence and for them to self-advocate. And so um, I am suggesting for kids as young as 8, 9, 10 um, to go and talk to their coaches. And so in doing that, um, it's making sure that you're helping your student-athlete frame the conversation and think about what they want to say. So an example i often use is one year again looking at softball we had so many opportunities for experiences um, my daughter had wasn't really getting played and so while some of the parents would call the coach that wasn't something i was willing to do so i suggested to her that she go speak to him herself um at the time she was i don't know about 10 and so we walked through this scenario and you know like Any kid at the age of 10, um, I said, you know, what what kind of approach, you know, are you going to take with your coach? And she said, well, you know, I'm going to just let them know, like, I'm not getting playing time and, you know, it's not really fair. And so, um, yeah, I'm just going to let them know. I said, oh, okay, well, so that is absolutely one approach. And then I wanted to get her to thinking on a deeper level. And again, these are little kids. You can get them thinking. They're not going to come up with solutions on their own, but you want them to start to go that way and stay resourceful. So I said to her, you know, what if someone came to you and just complained about the way that you did something? How, how would you feel about that? And she thought about it and she said, you know, I probably wouldn't like it. And so I wanted to make sure that in my language, I didn't shut her down. Like I didn't say, oh, nope, that's not going to work. I was like, oh, OK, that's that's an interesting approach. Like, how would you feel? I want her to get her to put herself in the coach's shoes. And so um, as we started to talk, you know, she went through some other options and some things that she would say and Ultimately, together and with some prompting, um, she came up with a question. She was going to go and ask the coach. Um, She said, you know, coach, I noticed I haven't been playing. Uh, What would it take to get more time on the field? And so the beauty of this approach is that it took away any chance for him to be defensive about why she hadn't played in the past. Because the goal playing in the past really didn't matter. It was like the goal was what would it take to play in the future? And you know what? He had an answer for her. And he said, you know what? Show up on time and don't fool around on the bench and you're going to get more playing time. Well, she took his advice and she got more playing time. So again, she felt so empowered and excited that she had worked through this herself. This was an amazing moment for her. Now, That one is a sort of easy example because it's a positive experience with a positive coach. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way and parental involvement is needed. And so even in those instances, the big difference between my approach and the way many other people would approach it is I am not going in a meeting or having a call by myself. I am bringing my student athlete into the meeting or having them on the call Because it's too easy to get caught up in, he said, she said. You know, my job as the parent is to help facilitate conversation. It's not to take one side, right, because at this point I've only heard my student's side, and blow up based on that. It's really to look at, okay, again, what is the goal? What is the result we want? And then what would it take for us to get that result? And that's the conversation I'm having with my student. You know, what do you really want to get out of a meeting with your coach? And with that, you know, often, especially with younger athletes, they'll say, well, I want more playing time. Absolutely. The goal is to get more playing time. But I also want to discuss with them what happens if they don't get it. Because it's so important that we work with our students on not being wedded to a specific outcome or stress. specifically defining success as I'm going to get what I ask for because ultimately it's the coach's decision who gets to play and I talk to student athletes and say it is really important that you respect their decision as much as and or it is as equally important as you have your voice heard as you respect their decision. And so we're looking at defining success. And so um, in this case with a, a student athlete who has gotten a negative response when she's gone to ask, you know, what can I do? Um, how how else could you define success with your student? Well, success could be hearing the coach's response, again, not being wedded to what it is, and being able to make a plan accordingly. So if the coach says, I can't give you more playing time for this, this, this reason. Okay, well, then that student has an opportunity to decide their next steps. They're not a victim of the circumstances of not playing. They're able to decide, okay, here's what I get to do going forward. Again, the whole idea is empowering your student athlete so that they're a part of the process, a part of the conversation. You know, the other thing that I talk about in terms of not being wedded to an outcome is that when we look at this as another learning opportunity, I mean, there are so many times in life, I mean, as adults, where we work really hard on a project, and, you know, we, the project doesn't get funded, or we put a lot of job into it, we put a lot of effort into a job that we love, and we get laid off because of budget cuts, or we show our commitment only to put be put down by a manager or a boss. It happens happens in life. And as parents, we want to help our kids work through these situations now when they're younger, so they can feel confident and resourceful working through them alone as they get older. So again, coming back to the situation where the student had to deal with a negative response from his or her coach, you know, A lot of people ask me, well, would you have them address the negative response? And I'm really leaving that up to my student. You know, if the student says, like, I want to talk about his or her response to me being harsh or being mean – then I'm there to support the student in having that conversation. If the student says, actually, I prefer to just talk about what will it take going forward, then I'm there to support my student in that case as well. Again, I'm really looking at what is the result my athlete wants to get out of the conversation, and I'm there to help support and facilitate it. Um, You know, so – we're looking at the meeting, we're coming up with a a new definition of success. And then we're going in there and we're sitting with the coach and, um, We're talking through it. I'm asking the same question. You know, what would it take to get more playing time on the field? I should say my athlete's asking, and I'm just sitting there and listening to the coach's response this time. And then we're talking through that. And before I'm ending any meeting, regardless of what the coach's response is, I do want to talk about specific next steps. And again, I'm helping my student athlete get a plan together for what he or she wants to do after the meeting. And it's also looking at, do we need to set up a follow-up meeting? to look at and monitor progress. Again, I'm making this a part of a process, not just a one-time conversation. This is about helping my student facilitate the type of experience he or she wants on the team. So um, again, a specific question I would ask, what are the specific next steps you need to take um, or my kid needs to follow after this meeting. If a follow-up meeting is appropriate, I'm asking, when should we meet again to monitor and measure progress? So obviously in extreme instances of inappropriate behavior or um, uh, something that has just been so hurtful, if the group meeting doesn't work, or it doesn't improve the situation, we're going through the process that you would if you had a situation like this at work or if you had a situation like this elsewhere. You know, you talk to the next person up. I'm going to the coach's boss. Maybe that's the athletic director or the principal. I'm involving my student each and every meeting because I want them a part of the conversation and ultimately a part of the resolution for them, right? I want to empower them to know that they can impact their own experience. That idea of them being able to impact how they're thinking about the experience and, and what they're doing to get through the experience for them to know that I don't have to be the one to take care of them. You can't help your student athlete learn this at, it's never too young. Start young so that they can increase and grow their confidence as they get older. So now that we have talked through how to work through coach situations, we've talked through how to communicate with your student athlete. We even went through some of the statistics, statistics that we're seeing with student athletes and participation in sports. I really want to look and answer. I really want to answer your questions about this topic. So, When we come back, remember, I'm answering your questions, 203-333-9422. Give the station a call so that we can continue the conversation about parent involvement in youth sports. Welcome back. This is Own Your Truth with Laura T. And tonight we're talking about uh, parental involvement in youth sports. Um, I'd mentioned before the break, back by popular demand, I'm answering your questions live. If you have questions, please remember to call 203-333-9422. In the meantime, I'm going to answer some of the questions I received from the Own Your Truth Facebook page. And I'm so grateful for people for sending in questions there so that we have, um, stuff that's important to you guys to talk about during each show. So the first question comes from Jen in Trumbull, who says, as a parent, what do you do if the coach continually doesn't play your kid? And, you know, she's getting discouraged at practice. She's there every day. Um, what do you do? So it's such a great question, because again, there's that fine line, how, how involved do we get as parents? And, you know, I think the the first thing to look at is you know what level of sports are they are they playing um as the kids get older and the the teams get more competitive, it's understanding the coach's philosophy at the beginning of the season. And it may be helpful to even ask, you know, what is your philosophy about playtime? So that you don't have to guess as the season goes on. Um, Obviously, based on the example I gave before the break, I'm encouraging my student athlete to go and talk to their coach and find out what does it take to have more playtime. That ability for the student to talk with their coach about it is so important um and you know again ultimately it's the coach's decision and you know your student-athlete gets to decide, do I want to play on a team if um, winning is more important than equal play? Or do I want to play on a team where equal play and sportsmanship is the key? And you know, it's important to note that you can have a winning team and sportsmanship and provide um, a, a playing a, – quality experience for all the players i remove that idea of equal play time because at certain levels of sports you can't expect that everyone is going to get to play an equal amount of time however there are opportunities for the kids who are not as strong to have some play time and you know again i think the key is really talking with the coach um, at the beginning of a season and finding out what is their philosophy on the topic This way here, you don't have to spend the season guessing. I hope that helps, Jen. Um, And, you know, with all of the questions that you guys pose, please, please go to the Own Your Truth with Laura T. Facebook page and let me know um, how the conversations go and what happens afterward. I'm so interested to see how this information gets applied in your world. So the next question comes from Joe in Bridgeport. Um, He asks, how do I tell my kid who loves to play basketball and wants to play all day to try something else? Um, So this question I think might be referring to uh, some of the statistics um, from pediatricians as well as um, adults involved in sports psychology – Uh, youth psychology that it's helpful to have students play multiple sports when they're young Um, and you know this is something that I hear a lot you know my kid wants to play all the time I think like any like anything else it's our job as parents to help our students find a balance and that doesn't mean that you tell your kid you can't play it's to show them how uh, other sports can help support them in getting better at what they they want to do is to show them how it's important to have a balance for your body that you're not overusing um, certain muscles. I mean, sports injuries right now are on a rise because of overuse, and you know, I, I actually had read an article. Uh, Roger Federer's father had talked about, you know, at what point do you have your kid decide, you know, this is the one sport that I'm going to get into. And he didn't answer the question specifically, but overall, he said, I just don't think that kids should be playing 14 hours of one sport, you know, Um and Roger Federer in particular until he was 12 played three sports um, and so when you look at an expert in tennis who didn't concentrate until he was a little bit older on one sport and you think about it doesn't hold you back it often reinforces when you hear Michael Jordan played multiple sports I mean there are so many really great athletes that played multiple sports and there's a huge benefit to that. So. You know, I think when it comes to kids who are passionate about one sport – encourage their passion and help them create balance because like anything in life and i say the word balance it really is a counterbalance right like sometimes um one area of our life takes more time and others get pushed to the back and then you re, you re you counterbalance it you bring the other area forward and um the area that took up more time goes in the back but you teach your kids these skills when they're younger and sports is a great place to start to teach them that so I hope that helps you out, Joe, um, in talking with your kid and, again, encourage his passion for basketball and help teach him how to create balance in life. Okay, the next question comes from Kaylee in Shelton. Oh, this is one. Um, what if you want to show your kids support, but you hate watching sports? So, I, I, in reading this question, I love it so much because this is this is me. I'm not a sports. Um, I'm just not someone who grew up watching sports or even playing a lot of sports. Um, so, I wouldn't go so far to say that I hate watching sports. But it's just not as exciting for me as other activities. Um, with that being said, I think that y- there's so many different ways you can show your kids support. I know that for me, my the first season of softball, I think my husband calculated, we spent like um, – I don't know, we did some 70 games or some crazy number, that might be an exaggeration, but it felt like 70 games. And like I calculated, okay, if each game is like three hours, and then I was like, Oh, my God, I can't believe I sat and watched sports for that long. And so I knew that it wasn't natural for me to sit in a stand and watch that much sports. And I really wanted to show up as my best self when I was there. So I sat down with my daughter and I said, Hey, listen, it's not natural for me to watch this much sports, but I want you to know how much I love you and how much I support you playing, can you tell me what games you really want me at? because I want to be at those. And so we came up with a schedule that, um, you know, she felt like she was supported. And I felt like I could really be true to myself and not sitting at so many games. And it worked out great. Because when I was at the games, I was totally engaged. I could totally be present. I wasn't on my phone or doing other I would bring books to games. I just felt like I sat on, on the sidelines for so long. I would bring books, I'd bring other activities. But because I didn't have to go to all of them, I was really present at the ones that I went to. And so it was coming up with that balance. But it's being honest with your kids and you don't have to say, I hate sports. Um, You can just say, it's just not natural for me and what is important to you and finding that balance for you and owning your truth about it it helps your kids own their truth in conversations with you. And so, again, it's this beautiful circle of communication and and being honest with each other. So, Kaylee, I hope that helps. Know that I can relate and it is possible to have a positive conversation with your kids about it okay I think I have time for one more question Um, let's see Matt in Milford says um, it's hard to be a coach how are we expected to know the sport teach it to the kids and understand how to help them emotionally in many instances we're volunteers and our seasons are short and then we get a new group of kids the next season what a really important question. Thank you so much, Matt, for bringing it up, because I think that's the thing to keep in mind, you know, until you get to the high school level or unless your kid is on a travel team and even some of the travel teams are still run by volunteers. Um, We're talking about volunteers and we're talking about fellow parents. And, um, you know, my behavioral style, the way I think about people is I'm optimistic about their intentions. And the parents I know who are involved in sports do it because they want to support their kids and they want to help. And so um, understanding that you don't have to do it all, Matt. It's, again, having this open communication with the athletes on your team – Really, even using some of the questions I mentioned in the um, earlier part of the show, getting into their heads and kind of understanding how they're thinking about sports, how they're thinking about their position on the team, how they're feeling about you. That time at the the beginning of a season, if you spend five to ten minutes with each student just getting to know them through those questions, it's going to give you a better idea how to work with them throughout the season. And so... And, you know, again, being kind to yourself and knowing as parents, we don't always get it right. As a coach, we're not always going to get it right. But when you show that you care and you create a mutual trust and open the lines of communication, the students can come and talk with you. So I hope that helps, Matt. um, Thank you so much for volunteering. It's so important that we continue to have parents as volunteers. Um, Thank you for joining me tonight. There's so much good information on this topic. We can't do it justice in one hour. I hope today's segment about parent involvement in youth sports has you thinking about your approach with your own kids. As always, I love hearing your thoughts and getting your feedback on the show. Visit Own Your Truth with Laura T.'s Facebook page and comment. I'm off next Sunday for the Thanksgiving holiday, wishing you and your family a safe and wonderful Turkey Day. I'll be back in two weeks. This is Laura T. on Own Your Truth. Hear you then. Good night.